This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. A republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. The famous words of Benjamin Franklin when exiting there in Philadelphia, the Constitutional Convention, and asked by a woman, Mr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? His response, echoing down through the ages, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. The word if is perhaps one of the most important words in our language. It's one of the most important words in the Bible. That's why a lot of people don't like to read the ifs of the Bible. But they connect, excuse me, connect thoughts that people don't want to connect with. And a lot of people today don't want to connect with the if that Benjamin Franklin stated, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. So why is it so many people are talking about a democracy these days? Why is it that our national leaders, presidents, governors, congresspeople, almost to a person keep talking about our democracy, our democracy, our democracy, our democracy. In reality, they're deceiving us every time they open their mouths. They have forgotten the big if. A republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. Apparently, they don't want to keep it. Apparently, they want something else. They want a democracy, which is exactly what our founders feared the most. They did not want a democracy because they could see the horrific dangers attached to it. And so here in America, we were engaged in what has been called the Great American Experiment. Look around. Is it an experiment? Well, the COVID vaccine was an experiment, and we're still seeing how experimental it was and how devastating that particular experiment was, is, and will be in the future. But that experiment, the American experiment, the great American experiment, was based on something very fundamental. It was based upon religion and morality. When the founders used the word religion, when George Washington used the word religion, it was capitalized the word religion with a capital R, it was referring to the Christian faith. The Christian faith and morality. In fact, our second president, John Adams, said that our government was not able to handle any other kind of person. And Alexis de Tocqueville That Frenchman, the secular Frenchman who came over here in 1830 to discover what it was that made America great. After nine months, it gave birth to some understanding to him. He said, in America, we would rather be equal in our slavery than unequal in our liberty. In other words, he saw something about Americans that was already fighting against the very foundation of the republic the Great American Experiment. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to be taking a look 
at this issue, and I'm glad that you joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And the reality is, today we have come to the place where we're justifying the unjustifiable. We're justifying the unjustifiable. How could such a thing happen if the foundation of the country was built on the Christian faith and morality defined by the scriptures? It wouldn't happen. So something has happened. Something very dramatic has happened. Well, one could say it happened dramatically, but maybe it's happened incrementally. And maybe, just maybe, it has carved away so that the fabric, the essential fabric of this nation is unraveling and barely hanging together by a thread. That's what we want to focus on here today on Viewpoint with our special guest, Dorothy Logan, who is joining us, a wonderful special friend with her first book, I believe, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. What a dramatic picture. On the front of the uh, the book, it almost looks like a climber's rope that has been virtually severed and uh, since I spent a lot of time mountaineering and rock climbing, uh, one of the most feared things you could possibly imagine would be a severed rope that's designed to protect you. Dorothy, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you for having me. And uh, where are we connecting with you? I am in Florida, Lake Wales, Florida today. In Florida. Well, uh, welcome aboard, and uh, it's good to have you. Well, tell us, uh, your book came out long before the Durham report, and the Durham report would seem to have uh, helped us to identify the unraveling of the country. But even after the report came out, that disclosed how profoundly and intentionally leaders of our country, in other words, the premier leaders, seven premier leaders of the institutions of our country, confederated together to destroy, literally, purposely, intentionally destroy the uh, the trustworthy fabric of the country, or the rope that would hang would would uh, connect us together. So, your book was written before that. So, what is it that prompted you to write this amazing book? Actually, it was watching where the country was willing to go in 2020. It actually started there. Uh, when, when you're looking, even before that though, we, we have, uh, government officials going all the way back to 2016 where, yes, we're not going to hold our elected officials or those in power to the same standard. And if it were, if it were you that committed this crime, you would be held, you would be guilty of treason. But, you know, because this person really, we don't want to charge them with anything we're not going to. And we saw that, and I, I don't know how how direct I can be about that, but with the Clinton, with the Hillary Clinton investigation about her email server and the, uh, the vulnerability there, we, we watched uh, Director Comey lay out the reasons why she should be charged and then say, but we're not going to do it. And so we, we see that in 2016, but we, I actually saw a culmination of this happen in 2020 where the American people were saying, we are no longer a country of laws. We're no longer a religious and moral people. We're no longer people interested in freedom. We're no longer beholden to the, the values that have been holding us together since the formation of this, 
country, and it broke my heart, actually. Well, I can well understand how it would break your heart, and it would break our founders' hearts, and quite frankly, I think it would break the hearts of the majority of those men and women who have sacrificed their lives and limbs uh, in protecting the country and the great experiment that was started here uh, to give glory to God. And uh, now, rather than giving glory to God, we're denying God and despising his word and the very principles that Alexis de Tocqueville, a secular Frenchman, said were binding America together in the 1830s. He said, it was not until I went to the Church of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understood the secret of her genius and power. Well, that's not happening anymore in America, and perhaps that's one of the reasons for the great unraveling. We'll take a look at this in more detail, friends. I hope you'll stay tuned because this is one of the best books on this subject I have ever read. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's morals slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're talking with uh, Dorothy Logan, who is the author of a brand new book, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. And uh, when you see fabric that's undone, uh, you know that uh, there's a problem. You would say that such a person was in poverty if they were wearing something that was completely unraveled and uh, frayed and the fabric was thinned out. And I'm thinking now, as I look at this title, and I think about what's happened morally and spiritually and politically and in every other way in our country, I'm wondering just perhaps to the extent that the purposeful buying of ever-increasingly torn jeans might be a reflection of our willingness to embrace a the torn fabric of our country. What do you think, Dorothy? Wow, I actually never thought of that. Neither did I until now. (laughs) (laughs) Because we are, we're willing to, we, I never understood why people are so enamored. Yeah, enamored with that as as a a fashion uh, expression. Well, what we're actually doing is not only accepting, but celebrating the unacceptable. Yes, which is exactly what we're doing in every aspect of society today. Wow. Well, not only that, you say in the prologue of your books, we play identity identity politics. We have contempt for anyone who disagrees, whether we even know why we believe what we believe. Someone doesn't. If someone doesn't belong to your group, they belong to the other group, and thus are your enemy in all things. The two major political parties are serving to prop up this notion. And the media fans the flames of the conflict. Regardless of where one stands politically, it is obvious that we're not living together well. Indeed, that's true. And yet, as a whole, Americans still support the same candidates, parties, policies, and activities that got us into the very mess in the first place. 
to blindly turn to the creators of the ills in society for answers to those very same ills. The fabric of American society has been slowly and methodically picked at, scratched at, repeated friction serves to wear the cloth thin. So who wants to tear apart the fabric of this country? The culprits are found in the classroom, the newsroom, the courtroom, the boardroom. Yes, in the White House and in many respects in the church house. Some of them are obvious to their role in the destruction, but others are quite a are quite aware that the very fabric of society itself is unraveling and they're doing everything in their power to speed up the process. And that's what's really grievous, isn't it, Dorothy? Indeed. And if you don't mind going back to that vertical rope on the on the front of the cover, yes. we have severed our vertical relationship in this country, um, I think, at, at several different levels, we and the, there's an intention to destroy that relationship with our Almighty God. Well, it's interesting you should say that, and I, I agree with you. Uh, we just celebrated the uh, anniversary of the first landing of the uh, there at sixteen in sixteen oh seven at uh, Cape Henry in Virginia Beach, and after that. Uh, they they planted a cross there. Then they sailed up the James River to Jamestown, planted another cross. And then 10 days later, Captain Christopher Newport sailed up the James River further to the place of the falls that is now called Richmond, Virginia, where this program airs. And there they planted a third cross. Yet for the past 50 to 60 years, there has been a methodical effort at every level to remove the cross from America. Interestingly, the vertical member of that cross is our relationship with God. The horizontal member of the cross is our relationship with one another. But those two have been severed by the intentional removing of the cross from the moral imagination of the people, and therefore, hatred is ruling supreme. I think you're absolutely right. The uh, unraveling has taken place, and perhaps it began with our rejection of the cross itself. Yeah, we, we've rejected. I, I always argue this idea of nature's God, natural law, it is obvious. Our relationships are, are the actual threads that hold us together. And as we disconnect, as we sever the relation, our vertical relationship, as well as our horizontal ones, that's what I've been watching over the past few years, mm-hmm. is the severing of our horizontal relationships and the isolation of people. And and we do this by redefining language, by, re, you know, having new definitions, having, causing hostility, making it about group, group think and, and um, identity politics and uh, categorizing people in ways to make them the other. In fact, instead of just not just severing the relationship, we are actually trying to reverse the relationship, and now love is hate. In in other words, that's exactly the opposite of what the uh, godly attorney John Winthrop had in mind and foresaw for this country back in 1630 when he landed four boatloads of Puritans there uh, in uh, in Massachusetts. Before they landed, because they were not. In within the Virginia Charter, they were outside of that. They had to craft a 
shall we say, a form of a constitution or a covenant, which they did. It was called a model of Christian charity. And in there, he specifically uh, described what some historians say was the clearest expression of the American vision ever penned. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's in the appendix of my book, Renewing the Soul of America, which people can get. But we're not talking about that today. He said that we are here under a commission from God to live out the gospel in all of its ways. But if we fail in this commission, he said, we will become a curse and a byword among the nations. Is that not what we see today? It's exactly what we're seeing today, as you can make the argument that the earthly governance is supposed to define or recognize the laws, again, of nature and of nature's God, the way we're supposed to interact with Mm -hmm. our world and with the people that we're surrounded with. But even it even speaks to equality under the law by governing officials. It speaks to a lot of the areas of our moral fabric that we have rejected, not just stopped adhering to, but have completely rejected. Okay, now that leads us to another word uh, that we opened the program with, and that is the word democracy, the D word. And uh, you say we don't live in a democracy, or at least we aren't supposed to be living in a democracy. Uh, And that's because, as Benjamin Franklin once said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. And we want to build on that uh, in just a moment, but I want to make your book available to our listeners here today. Friends, this is one of the best books to help you understand what's happened, what our country was to be about, what has happened, and uh, what we need to do about it. Uh, I think you're going to be very encouraged. Your uh, understanding is going to be increased dramatically. And uh, it's very simple, very simple to understand. The unraveling, the American fabric undone. $18, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get the book in your hands, and I don't think you will be disappointed. All right, Dorothy, this is your first book, is it not? I actually wrote it in conjunction with another political philosophy, but this is my first book. Yeah. Well, just uh, uh, kudos to you, sister. Kudos to you. you. And yet you say we don't live in a democracy. Uh, and if we have cha- exchanged our republic for a democracy, we have willingly handed ourselves over to tyranny. That is a mouthful. So if we're embracing democracy as who we are, you're saying that we have actually determined that we are going to welcome tyranny into our country. That's what we're experiencing, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's why the desperation is real, because we want to be on the winning side. We want to be, because that allows us to impose our will. If we're on the winning side, the winning side gets to impose their will on anyone who disagrees with them. And that's exactly so, what the seven who are identified in the Durham report were attempting to do. 
a president, a vice president, a uh, attorney general, a CIA uh, leader, uh, all of them were confederating together to impose their will and to destroy the American election and our trust in it and in its candidates. That would seem to me to be an exercise in tyranny. How do you see it? I, I see it as a successful coup in, in some ways in that we no longer trust our electoral system and we no longer believe in our republic and we no longer trust those we have previously entrusted with um, leading us and guiding us in, in the right direction. We have lost all trust in such institutions and in the rule of law and in everything that once made us the city on the hill. That's absolutely true. I remember years ago when I was flying across the country, I was in an airport and saw a copy of USA Today. It was a very interesting first page. And right in the middle, in about three-inch tall letters, was the word trust in green, in green. And the essence of that first page article was, we don't have any trust in our institutions anymore. And that was at least 15 years ago. Yeah, and we don't, and after the last three years, there are even more institutions we don't trust. That's correct. We don't, we don't trust any of the, our Pharma, like farm, big pharma, we call it big pharma. We don't, but we don't trust the medical industry or the medical mm-hmm. profession anymore. We have a lack of trust even in academic institutions. We have a lack of trust in not just the government institutions, but our banking institutions. Every yeah. area you look into, we have lost more and more trust uh, over the years. And we've seen that also within the broader Christian community. It's pretty amazing. So let's let's talk about this word democracy. What is it anyway? People use it with impunity. George W. Bush, during his administration, said that, uh, you know, we're here to advance democracy throughout the world. And, of course, that led us to Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, Did we achieve it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And we don't really want to uh, extend democracy. We don't really want to extend democracy because we really wanted the whole goal was let's encourage people to um, let's encourage people to have freedom. And that's what we were trying to they wanted us to equate that with. But that wasn't exact. That's not what democracy produces, is it? No, democracy actually produces government control. The general will, the sovereign, meaning the government, gets to decide everything. And that's the majority, the 50% plus one, gets to impose their will and basically becomes even the central planning of happiness, right? The, the government tells you what will make you happy. We who are in the majority know better than you what will make you happy, what you want for your life. Um, and and so the major, the democracy is to simply rule by the majority, the 50% plus one. And that is why the founders were doing everything in their power to avoid uh, the tyranny of the majority and instead put into all into place all these safeguards to prevent us from ever becoming a democracy. However, if we believe we live in a democracy and we live as though we live in a democracy and we say elections have consequences and we look to the government to solve all our problems, to tell us what is right and good, 
don't we then now live in a democracy? So in other words, we've changed our belief system. Even Christians have changed their belief system. So we have subtly, through the exaltation of the word democracy, have actually reverted the sovereignty of God to the sovereignty of Earth's governments. Exactly. Mm-mm-mm. Isn't it amazing how the enemy of our souls is so seductive and deceptive? It, and he, he's so good at it because even Jesus, I believe in the parable, the, the wheat and the tares, right? We, the enemy comes and sows those tares. And you can't go and try to uproot them or else you get rid of the wheat as well. And that's exactly what we see happening in, exactly. in our country today. There it is. The Unraveling, friends, The American Fabric Undone. Tremendous book, $18 on our website, saveus.org. I urge you to get a copy. We'll be back in a moment. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. If you can keep it, a republic, if you can keep it. Not a democracy, if you can keep it, but a republic. What is a republic anyway? Well, it uses democratic principles, but it's representative. In other words, you elect people and you create a system that has many counterbalances in it to protect against the unlawfulness of absolute democratic tyranny. That's what a republic is. And that's what we were given. But now this reveals, friends, the meaning and import of the phrase that we use here on this program continually. Viewpoint determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. And the viewpoints concerning this matter of democracy versus republic have haunted this country since its founding, even before its founding going all the way back in the French Enlightenment to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who through his writings, we can understand the goals and motivations of those who embrace the notion that we live in a democracy and should live in a democracy. Just exactly the opposite of the viewpoint of a godly attorney by the name of John Winthrop, who in 1630 penned just the opposite viewpoint. And it's his viewpoint that has been the predominant viewpoint in this country 
That is, John Winthrop's viewpoint has been the predominant viewpoint in this country until about 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And then it began to shift dramatically. What is happening? Why is it happening? That's what uh, Dorothy Logan is talking about in her book, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. Tell us a little bit more about this fellow, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. It kind of has a swing to it. Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He must be wonderful with a name like that. Well, he, he was a part of the Enlightenment. and But unlike our foundation, the fabric upon which we are founded, the the Winthrop's, the, Locke, the Lockean principles, Rousseau, first of all, was an atheist. He believed that conscience was a societal framework. And it was false, and that you shouldn't listen to it because it made you do things wrong. Um, your your conscience is the exact opposite of what classical liberalism from the beginning of time has said. No, your conscience is what pulls you in the right direction. In other words, uh, what he was saying is what we hear today and since the 1970s of the bumper sticker, if it feels good, do it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where we get my truth, your truth. There is no there is no real truth, and that really plays into democracy as well, because, yes, democracy, the, major, the truth is determined by what the majority says it is. There is no absolute standard by which to measure, and we, were, we would have been better off if we hadn't allowed society to tell us what was right and wrong. If there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that has to occur. Oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> You know, if you go back, you could, you can follow the trajectory of this. Uh, it was called the social contract theory that Jean, Jean-Jacques Rousseau came up with. So that if you can get enough people uh, in a group or a country, whatever, to agree upon a certain thing, they have in effect made a contract or a compact. And that's what's going to guide. That's what's going to govern. And woe to anybody that disagrees with it. So... There's no freedom in that, is there? No. In fact, they he was very explicit in the social contract to say that the government doesn't need to protect rights or guarantee rights because the government is what the people have decided it is, and it doesn't want to hurt itself. Therefore, it's not going to hurt any of the individuals. And so if you think that you need something protected, you're wrong, which means, you know, we even more so have to take control over how you should live your life and and how you should approach living it even within the society and with other people. Isn't it amazing how this has taken hold, though? It's taken hold in the last 50 years through this alleged protection of minorities, minority viewpoints. Uh, for instance, uh, it used to be that divorce in this country was seen as a, a very, very unpleasant and undesirable thing. But in the 1970s, after no-fault divorce passed in 1968 in California, divorce became normative. Therefore, it was no longer seen as unusual or something to be feared or troubling, rather almost something to be celebrated. Well, that was not enough. After that came the celebration of serial adultery through divorce and remarriage when your spouse was still living, which Jesus said was adultery. But that became celebrated not only in the country as a whole, but in the church house. It became normative from pulpit to pew. Then 
when that became normative, came to celebrate the the insurgence of another minority called homosexuality, sodomy. And the push was to make that more normative so that it could be pushed as a majority viewpoint in the country. Now, if you reject that viewpoint, you're deemed to be an enemy of the government. This is how it has worked, and it's not finished yet. This trajectory will take over, allegedly in the defense of the minority, when actually it is the tyranny of the majority that that the minority has become, even though it still remains a minority. Yes, and it's very confusing when you when you start looking at it. However, that is the incrementalism, the little shift. Exactly. Progress, progressing, right? We're being, as long as we're moving in a direction, it's progress, even though we're moving away from the foundational principles that hold the society together. As long as we are moving and progressing um, in a certain direction, it's supposedly being better. But that's, that's even kind of the original sin itself, we can perfect society on our own. If we can just get the right formula um, and get and and figure out what we got wrong the last time, certainly we'll do better the next time. Well, it's man creating his own self-salvation, isn't it? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is, and it's converting humankind into our own resident messiahs. Yeah, we have the we have the government as our god, but we have ourselves as, as our gods, and then we also have this goal that we're headed towards. It's going to be a utopia. It'll be heaven on earth because, and we will create it. The hubris of the of the human spirit, as it were. So you say that we have voluntarily, over time now, given up individual power, individual freedom, individual will, and the right to a private opinion in exchange for democracy, which is an all-powerful sovereign that you dare not resist at your peril. Yes, which is why it's the impetus behind most communist regimes as well, the People's Republic of China, the People's (laughs) Democratic Republic of China. Yeah. Oh, wow. Deception uh, comes in on little cat feet, and then pretty soon it overwhelms you, and you can't see clearly anymore and uh, a reality becomes unreality and we justify the unjustifiable all in the name of justice it's just beyond the pale so if this was called the american experiment and we were seen as the beacon of freedom around the world then what was the basis of American liberty and law. That would be, it's a natural law. I always go back to natural law, which yes. means the, the absolute standard that is that has been set because we, we live in a universe of rules and an, we serve an orderly God. And people sometimes like to complain, oh, the, the Constitution is, is, foundational to our faith, right? It, like, it, it encompasses our um, religion. It's like the Bible. It's been it's inspired by God. It hasn't. No. However, it defines and puts down on paper our recognition of the law of, of our of nature's God's of nature's God's law. And so when we it only works, it's I call it an artificial conscience. 
but the conscience can be ignored. And when we cut ourselves, we, we sever ourselves from the source of goodness, we sever ourselves from the source of that law, and we turn it on its head simply out of rebellion, you're going to find that the conscience works on us less and less and less. And that's what the, I call the Constitution, or our, the government's conscience. And so if we were created and we're, we were un, created for a religious and moral people, and we're unfit for any other, now that we are no longer religious and moral, the Constitution is a, a conscience that has died, kind of like that. So the sociopath or the psychopath, actually, who who has decided I've, I've completely rejected any pricking of the of the conscience because it is art. The conscience is artificial. Well, this is the reason why Barack Obama openly stated he hated the Constitution. He hated the Constitution because it gave all the rights to human beings. He thought the Constitution should give all the power to government and reserve a few things to the people. Just the opposite, because he believed in a completely different viewpoint. And his viewpoint, he set about to determine destiny. Five days before his inauguration, he said, we're five days away from the fundamental transformation of America. And he meant it. He had a viewpoint, and he knew that that viewpoint was fundamentally contrary to everything that this country stood for. And that's what we've seen borne out. And we've seen it borne out in the one who was his vice president now, in the name of the presidency. It is true that our we are the, an, an experiment, and we are unique in that our Constitution actually was to serve to limit the power of government, not to grant rights to the people or to tell the government how to do things and give it power. In fact, our Constitution is essentially, the goal behind it was to limit all that. So to to fundamentally transform what we're called to be, what we were created to be as a, or formed to be as a a country, meant we want to turn all that on its head. We want to give power to the government and take rights from the people. That's it right there. We'll be right back, friends. Gotta get this wonderful book, The Unraveling. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Please, friends, I cannot recommend this book more highly. The Unraveling the American Fabric Undone. $18, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call. 
1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And when you see this simple cover with a brightly colored rope, it looks almost like a climber's rope, but it probably is more like a... Uh, a, uh, a rope for boats and so on, but it, it looks a lot like a climber's rope, but it's severed, the unraveling, the American fabric undone. Get a copy of the book. Governments are necessary for man's liberty, not because governments give rights or bestow liberty upon the people, but because some people are not good and seek to take life, to take liberty, to take property, and to prevent others from pursuing their own happiness. Governments are instituted among men to recognize and uphold natural law. In other words, the law of nature's God, God and nature's God. But Dorothy, have you noticed that now we are shifting from nature's God to turning nature into God? Uh, Yeah, and it kind of... I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh at it, but it does seem kind of ridiculous. We have the creator and we have the created, and we talk about a climate crisis or environmental problems or we need to save the earth or, wait, what about saving humanity? What about uh, what is best for the people? We, we have down not have we not only have we upgraded the value of the earth or of nature, We have downgraded the value of human beings and their intrinsic worth as part of the created as well. We've actually reduced humankind to animals while elevating animals to human rights. Spain did that, and now we're trying to do that in this country, give human rights to animals while taking away uh, God-given rights from humans made in God's image. This is the kind of deception that the Apostle Paul wrote about, friends, in Romans chapter 1. It's a manifestation of the reprobate mind that ultimately God gives the people over to in utter and total rebellion. And it's not going to end well. Unless and until... We have a radical turnabout in this country, starting in God's house. You can see where the unraveling is going to lead. There are not many threads left. And the message here is not intended to be a message of hopelessness, but rather where we put our hope. Abraham Lincoln said in the middle of the Civil War, He said that this country is the last best hope of earth. What did he mean by that? Well, what he meant was if this American experiment could not survive, there's no hope for any government to survive on this planet. That's what he meant. And now we're proving him right. We might have been the last best hope of earth through human governments. But we're also proving God right that without him, human governments are wicked. 
Now we're seeing why democracy itself is deception. That's why our founders rebelled against the very concept of democracy. They embraced a republic if we could keep it. So, I have an interesting question going back to the area of law. When I went to law school, one of the things that I remembered was the words of the Chief Justice or of the Justice in the Supreme Court when confronted with a uh, pornography case. And uh, his comment that is echoed down through history was this, I'll know it when I see it. I'll know what's obscene when I see it. Today, we have completely, dramatically redefined the obscene and turned the obscene into normality or normalcy. So we don't even recognize obscenity anymore because virtually anything goes. And now, obscenity is being purposely introduced into our children's education and into the libraries of America. How can such a thing be, Dorothy? I think it did start. We, we, I talk about the boardrooms, the media, the classroom, all these, all the people who are staffing these institutions um, have been taught in a certain way that rejects um, the obvious. It's, I believe it has been intentional through the academics, academia, through academia mm-hmm. especially. True. But because through academia, they were able to put their, you know, the tendrils of the lies into every area of life. Um, and so we see this in, in our classrooms. Part of the Supreme Court decision about obscenity, the Ross Miller standards, talked about community standards. They're trying to change com- community standards. Exactly. Uh, to the point where there are there are none, and again, we because and you are the biggest, and that's called and that's called freedom and liberty, right? Exactly, and so that but those are tears. We're we're trying to eat these tears, and and we're wondering why they taste wrong, why why the wheat isn't working and not creating good bread, right? We we not that you and I would not understand this, but the American people. They don't want to be considered racist. They don't want to be considered bigoted. They don't. They want to be told that they are loving and compassionate. When in in addition to the fact that everything that is loving and compassionate in today's society is now determined to be hate, especially if you're a Christian, you're just a hater. Mm-hmm. I've gotten this from my own family family members, um, mm-hmm. younger people who say you couldn't possibly love me because you're a Christian. I mean, these types of this is the this is a narrative that is infiltrating it first it infiltrated uh, higher education and then high school and it has now reached the level where you know pre-k they're they're putting these ideas into into our children's minds all right you write about uh, one of the things that binds a country together and that is common language Mm -hmm. and you're right however over the past 50 60 years now There has been an intentional effort through the colleges and universities and through, I might say, politics to change the meaning of words and through changing the meaning of words to change the acceptability or normalize certain things that otherwise would be seen as 
very undesirable. And of course, perhaps that began with the word gay. I, I can think, can't think of anything more pronounced and more obvious than changing a word that was used to describe that which is happy and blithe to use it, to co-opt it, to put a happy face upon sodomy. But that's exactly what they did. And they continue to do it with several other words. Of course they do. And if we don't have a shared understanding of a, of a definition, of, a, of the meaning of our language, we can't have shared values. And this is the reason why I urge people not to use common phrases. For instance, I urge Christians not to use the word gay. Stop buying into the marketing of evil. That's what you're doing. You're buying into the marketing of evil by using that word. Use the real word. You either call it homosexuality or sodomy. Those are the real words. Don't use the word gay because you're playing the game of the enemy. You just are. You may not think of it that way, but that's exactly what you're doing. And there are many, many other words like that, aren't there? Yes, and we see more and more being um, redefined. Even even connotations, though, you know, we can talk about, again, the connotation of democracy, it used to be right. tyranny of the majority, but now it is, we equate it with freedom because we've been taught to do that. Exactly. And, and it's been an incremental um, game, and the people who were, the, the homosexual movement normalizing homosexuality in the media, for example, they're very proud of the way they were able to move the public um, approval from being vastly against homosexuality to now celebrating it. And when that has happened in Israel as well, and a pride parade can be taken right down through the streets of Jerusalem where Jesus himself walked down the Via Della Rosa, you know we've got a problem. This is not just a problem for America. This is a problem for the whole Western world. And I also think, I I was thinking about even the rainbow, right? We have the Mm -hmm. rainbow was was, um, the promise that, the Lord would never flood the earth again and destroy the earth in that way, the world in that way. And what was, what were the crimes and what were the sins and what was being wiped out? And I almost feel as though they've co-opted yes. the rainbow to say, look, we can do anything we want because God promised that he wasn't going to do this again. And it's kind of like a, a, a nose, a, you know, a thumb, <laughs> thumb you know, kind right. of putting um, a, a, a confrontation and a challenge in front of God by using the rainbow flag. All right. Many of our pastors and churches have uh, been co-opted by this thinking, and it's not just a matter of accepting the practice of homosexuality, for instance. It's a matter of buying into the so-called new normal to try to be accepted by the culture in order to market the gospel. This is the amazing trajectory of the unraveling and it's threatening to unravel the very essence of the gospel and salvation itself i see and when you see how few people still adhere to a biblical worldview it seems as though to be accepted or to using rationalizing that this is how you're going to reach more people 
is simply you are believing the lies. And that's exactly what we were warned against, that there will be teachers who tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear. Those aren't the ones you're supposed to be listening to. Yeah. Um, so, But when they are becoming in the majority, uh, you know, as so many people will call me here or, or write an email and say, where can I find a congregation that hasn't succumbed to this uh, redefinition of morality. Uh, Where can I find a congregation that, yes, indeed, embraces the fullness of the truth of God's word and the fullness of the call to our relationships and love for one another? And uh, I, I tell them, I don't know where to direct you. I don't. I don't know where to direct people. Uh, I just had a young man just uh, this week who called me and was just pouring out his heart and soul concerning a congregation that he's involved with uh, up to his eyeballs and is just feeling that the, the fabric of that congregation is unraveling before his eyes. And he's saying, what should I do? What can I do? And that's really the the question before us here, Dorothy. Uh, What would you say to people when we see this uh, moving so rapidly in front of us, the unraveling, it's almost as if the fabric itself is about ready to split wide open. It it seems like it has already in some respects. So what what do you say that we should do? Hmm? I would say create authentic relationships. The, the original relationship, the, 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 the archetype is that of Christ to us, right? He came, he met us in a place in time and space where we could identify with him and he could identify with us. So it's actually, when we say the trite answer, the answer is Jesus, the answer. All right. I think you're right. In other words, we need to be walking, living ambassadors in our own beings. If we want to see change, we have to be the change we want to see. All right. The wonderful book, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone, $18 on our website, friends. I hope you'll get it. It'll help you to understand an awful lot that has transpired and what we need to do in response. Right there on our website, saveus.org. Become a partner. Send your gifts, friends, by, by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Let's join together to do everything we can to get the message out until Jesus comes. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.